in Genesis chapter 40. Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker, for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer bearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was in prison. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them and he took care of them and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt who were confined in the jail both had a dream the same night. Each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in the master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, We have had a dream and there was no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches, and as it was budding in blossoms, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. Three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you. Please do me a kindness by mentioning to me, Pharaoh, me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. For I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing that they should have put me into the, into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also in my dream, or saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket, there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. And the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat your flesh off of you. Thus it came about on the third day, which Pharaoh's was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the, the cup into the hand Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time. Gracious Father, be with us now as we consider your word. Help us to see and to understand that you use these dungeons, Lord, in order to discipline and develop us into the men and women, boys and girls that you would have us to be for your glory. 
I decrease that you may increase. Be glorified in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I do warmly greet you again in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, I doubt that there are any here this morning who do not know what it is to be a victim. A victim. Victimization is a hot topic in society today, isn't it? Many know victimization in a variety of ways. We know economic victimization. Some of you have lost your jobs. Some of you are on the verge of losing your jobs. Some of you are being made redundant and obsolete, unnecessary in your jobs. Some of us have experienced victimization in our families. Some of us have been physically abused, emotionally abused. Some of us have witnessed abuse. Some have been neglected. Some have been unloved. Some of you have been victimized by some kind of crime. A crime that was committed against you. Your houses, your cars, or some kind of property of yours has been taken. You've been the victim of some kind of crime. Others are victim of gossips, or victims of gossip. Some of you have been victims of bullying. Some of you have even been victimized because of your faith in Christ. We've all experienced victimization in this fallen world in some capacity. If this chapter before us this morning teaches us anything, it teaches us that Joseph knew what it was to be a victim. Joseph knows what it is to be mistreated. Joseph knew what it was to be abused by those who should have loved him. But yet time and time again, they stripped him of his cloak of honor, if you will. And yet, in spite of Joseph's victimization, in spite of Joseph's abuse and mistreatment and being unloved, the life of Joseph shows us that we do not have to live like victims. That there is another way. And this morning, with God's help, I would like to consider with you Three ways in which God uses dungeons in order to develop his people for his glory. Let's consider our first point this morning. Being developed in the dungeon or developing in the dungeon. This is actually chapter 39, verses 21 to 23. I felt like there was more there from last week. But it is obviously connected to what we will deal with this week. Let's read these verses. But the Lord, after Joseph was wrongly accused and thrown into prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. 
The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Last week, we considered the fact that Joseph was a victim of lies. Joseph was a victim of deception. Potiphar's wife desired to have Joseph. But because Joseph was a faithful servant of God, he did not heed to the lustful, sinful call of Potiphar's wife. But instead, he became the victim of her lies. These lies were the cause of Joseph's imprisonment. And he sums up his experience in verse 15 of chapter 40. He says this, I was in fact kidnapped. I was victimized from the land of the Hebrews. I was stolen. And even here, he says, I've done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. I'm a victim. He could have rightly said. And it seems as though Joseph is saying, I have been victimized. Joseph says that he's done nothing to deserve to be put into the dungeon. As a matter of fact, he was actually kidnapped from his own homeland. Joseph has been mistreated. Joseph has been wrongly accused. And Joseph is absolutely right. Joseph has been mistreated. Joseph was an innocent man. And brothers and sisters, let me say to you, or let me ask you, if you were in the shoes or sandals of Joseph, what would be the chief occupation of your mind? Meaning, what would be the thing after you have suffered so much mistreatment, what would be the thing that would be on your mind the most? If we're honest... Many of us would be plotting revenge day and night. (laughs) Many of us would be like James Brown, plotting the big payback. Devising a plan to escape. Becoming exactly who the dungeon says you are. You're a criminal. You deserve to be here. Some, most if we're honest, might become bitter. And we might even argue that we have the right to be bitter. I've been victimized. I have the right to be bitter. I have the right to be angry. Some, most of us, if we're honest, might even become venomous, hateful toward those who have mistreated us. And also maybe even hateful, venomous toward anyone attempting to enter into our life, believing that they will hurt us just like the other ones who have hurt us before. So we build walls. And the walls have barbed wire. And if they get over the walls and if they get over the barbed wire, there's electric eels in the water. We think of all of the different ways that we can keep people away because We've been hurt. We've been victimized. My dear friends, if that is our response, then we become slaves. We become slaves to the times that we have been victimized. 
we will victimize ourselves then because of the victimization that we've received from others. But brothers and sisters, Joseph in the scriptures this morning teaches us that there is another way. And what is that other way? Let me ask this. How can there be another way? May I say to you that Joseph shows us that it is, first of all, not a sin to acknowledge that what has been done to you was not right. You are a human being. You deserve respect. You deserve to be treated with respect. You are a human being. God has commanded us to love one another as we love ourselves. You are a human being made in God's image. You deserve to be rightly treated by other human beings. It was not right what Joseph experienced. He said, I've done nothing to be here. Or, I've done nothing to deserve to be here. And that was true. But what was also true was that Joseph did not allow what had been done to him to determine the fate and character and purity of his life. Do you hear that? The times of abuse did not replace God on his throne. Joseph did not look at the times that he had been a victim and say, well, since I've been victimized and since I've been abused and since I've been mistreated, I have the right to act in a sinful way. Since I've been mistreated, since I've been abused, I have the right to be just as wicked as those who were wicked to me. The times of abuse did not dictate how he would live the rest of his life. The abuse that we've experienced, it tells us something, doesn't it? The times that we've been mistreated, it tells us something. The times that we have been uh, abused and so on and so forth, it tells us, get even. Get revenge. It tells us plot. It tells us scheme. And if we were to follow the voice, the voice of all of the abuse that we've experienced, if we were to follow what it says to us, then we would become servants of those things. They would become our master. They would become our God. How many do you know today who act, live, behave in a certain way? And when you ask them, why are you such this way? Why do you do the things that you do? Well, because of what I've experienced back here. That's why I do what I do here. May I say to you, brother and sister, that a person who uses the mistreatments of the past, the abuses of the past as their excuse to act in a sinfully wicked way today, they are saying that I belong to that victimization. It's now my master. It's now my God. And it tells me how I'm supposed to live now. Not so for the believer. You have been made a new creation. 
in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. You have been called to put on Christ. You have been called to put on new clothes, to take off the old garments. That's not who you are anymore. Has it shaped you in some way? Yes. Has it affected you in some way? Of course. Does it define you? Not in the least. Christ defines who you are. Do I have the right to do uh, what I want to do because of what I've experienced? Paul says, all things are lawful for me. But not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me. And here's the, the important one. But I will not be mastered by anything. I could do it. But why am I doing it? Am I doing it because I'm being controlled by something? By, because something is, is forcing me to. And if something is forcing me to, then that thing becomes my master. And I will have no other master but God. Who do you belong to? Who is your master? If God be your master and you be his bond slave, then you know very well there is another way to respond. You know that your life does not have to be defined by the abuses that you've experienced. That there is another way. Who's your master? And who and what does he command of you? What attitude does he call you and me to have? Even if and when we are victimized and mistreated, what is your attitude to be? We learned a lot about attitude last week, didn't we? We learned a lot about effort last week, didn't we? How, how far attitude and effort goes in our lives. I pray that you have not forgotten about that since last week. When victimized, when mistreated, what attitude am I called to have? What does my master command of me? And then we must go to those places that are sometimes hard to read, and those pills that are often hard to swallow from God's word. First Peter 2.20 says, What credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? You hear that? If you sinned and you were mistreated and you endured it, there's no credit there. You deserved it. You deserved the punishment. You did something wrong. The, the, the punishment uh, is connected with the crime. But he's not done. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. If you have done something wrong and you have experienced punishment and you endure it, good for you. <laughs> you endured something that you deserved. But if you've done nothing wrong 
and you are being punished and you endure it because you belong to Christ, there is a reward there from God. If you do wrong and you're punished, there's no injustice. If you do right and you are still punished and you endure it, this finds favor with God. Oh, what an extraordinary thing for the Scriptures to say. Because it goes against, once again, all of our natural inclinations, all of our natural notions of justice and injustice in the world. It goes against the reason of the world, the, the way the world reasons. Again, the, the world would say, and I'm sorry for all the musical references today, but the world would say like Bob Marley, get up, stand up. Stand up for your rights. But God says if you experience suffering for doing good, it is a credit to you and it finds favor with Him. This is God's way. The world says fight back. God says endure it. And we do not belong to the world, do we? We are also not even friends of the world, are we? Well, what does God want to teach us? Holiness. God wants us to live a holy life. God commands that those who belong to Him live a holy life. A Christ-like life. No matter, listen, no matter what circumstance or affliction that we suffer, we are called to live a holy life before God. I think we all need to be reminded of that. It's a command that comes on more than one occasion from the Scriptures. Be holy, for God is holy. You belong to God. Show it. You belong to God. Live it. You belong to God. Display it. Ephesians 4.24 Put on the new self which is in the likeness of Christ or God. 1 Peter 1.15 But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. I love this passage from Isaiah 35 verse 8. A highway will be there, the Lord says. A roadway. What's the name of the roadway? And it will be called the highway of holiness. As I read that passage, I thought, I read the Bible. I don't remember that passage. The highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it. The unclean don't go that way. They don't take that road. But it will be for him who walks in that way. The way of God. And he goes on to say, and fools don't wander onto that road. They know what road that is. A fool doesn't say, oh, how did I get to the, whole, uh, the highway of holiness? What am I doing here? No, the one who walks on that road means to go there. And the one who wants to avoid holiness takes all other paths. And Joseph's life is a good example of this. He walks on the highway of holiness. What road are you traveling on this morning? What highway are you taking this morning? 
Joseph lived a godly life in spite of experiencing mistreatment, abuse, victimization of the likes that you and I will never be able to know or experience. And God will teach us, just as He has taught Joseph, there is no excuse for bitterness. None. No excuse for walking around with a chip on your shoulder. No excuse if you belong to God for harboring resentment. No excuse for the person who plots revenge. You just wait. I know where they work. I know where they live. We all get nails in our tires, don't we? My dear brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus Christ is the prototypical example of this godly virtue. And it is to this kind of life that we are called. A holy life that refuses and denies Satan's temptation to get revenge. Satan's temptation to be bitter. Satan's temptation for us to walk around with chips on our shoulders. You are called to live a holy life before God. It's part of the package. I have to remind myself on more than one occasion. (laughs) Saying to my son the other day in our family worship, we were talking about forgiveness. And I said to him, we have no right to harbor unforgiveness. If God has forgiven us of much, who are we? To harbor any unforgiveness in our hearts. And I said to him, and my wife was looking at me. (laughs) Not looking at him. Looking at me while I was saying these things. And I said to her. And I said to him. And I say this and it is not easy, son. I need God's, I need God's grace. So that I don't walk around with a chip on my shoulder. So that I don't harbor unforgiveness. I have no excuse and neither do you. To have a bad attitude. Imagine that. Oh, holy Christian with a bad attitude. What an oxymoron. What a contradiction. A believer in Christ. Whose attitude uh, stinks. Of dung. We cannot have bitter attitudes. We cannot be resentful. We are called to be like Christ, not like the world. Christ suffered for us, leaving an example to us to follow. And no one was greater victimized than the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a one. Christ deserved the best treatment. And Christ received the worst treatment. And yet did not display one ounce of bitterness in spite or resentment, in spite of the mistreatment that he experienced. I think the the greatest example is when Christ is in the process, if you can imagine, of being nailed to the cross. And as they are spiking him into the cross, he says lovingly, says graciously and says without bitterness 
Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. It will come as Christ gives up His Spirit that one of those soldiers standing by will say, Truly, He was the Son of God. Christ committed no sin. No deceit was found in His mouth. He endured mistreatment because He knew that God was working out His purposes. Even in the midst of mistreatment. God was bringing people to Himself through the suffering, pain, and mistreatment of Christ. And those looking at Christ on the cross, they may have thought that they were looking at a defeat. But the power of God was being displayed in all of His glory, Christ in victory. Even in the midst of being victimized, God regaining glory. And we must remember this. When we are feeling as though... We're being mistreated. We're being victimized. Listen to me. Listen to God's word. No, God is gaining glory for himself. God is developing you. God is making you something, someone he wants you to be that you're not yet. But you will be. Sanctification takes time, doesn't it? You are justified. But we are in the process of being sanctified. He's making us who we are not yet, but who we will be. God purchasing himself for himself, a people through the precious blood of Christ. And Joseph teaches us that there is no agony that we cannot go through, that we can go through, that God cannot use for his glory. He's either teaching us something. Or he is purposing to bring others to him through whatever we're experiencing. God is developing us in the dungeon. Secondly, God is still with us in the dungeon. As he's developing us, he has not abandoned us. Verse 21 of chapter 39, the Lord was with Joseph. And extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Uh, Dear brothers and sisters, have you ever gone through days that you may have asked yourself, where is God in all of this? You ever gone through something, a dungeon experience, if you will, and asked yourself, does God even care? We are sometimes in moments of our lives when we wonder if we have been placed into some kind of, listen to the word, purgatory. There is no such thing as purgatory. But the description is sometimes what we feel, isn't it? I'm in a holding place. Some of you know about a holding place. I'm in a holding cell. I'm not here and I'm not there. I'm, I'm just nowhere. I'm like that old Beatles song, Nowhere Man. I'm, what am I doing this morning? I'm nowhere. God has left me to work things out on my own. My dad used to uh, preach a sermon. Uh, it was about a holding pattern. If you know anything about flying, which I don't, uh, and I don't think he did either. He must have heard this somewhere. But he used to talk about how 
before a plane can land sometimes, they will place the plane in a holding pattern. They can't land. They're just in the air. And they're not going anywhere either. They're actually going in circles. They're circling the place where they need to land, but they're not allowed to land just yet. I've never been in a holding pattern. I've been in an airplane waiting for the plane to call us to come. We've had some delays. There's been times where we've been in the airplane and we've been waiting to take off, but we've just been waiting. We're not going anywhere. Sometimes in our Christian lives, we feel that way, don't we? I'm just going like this. I don't feel like I'm advancing, and I don't also feel like I'm declining, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm just here. And sometimes in those moments, we ask ourselves, has God abandoned us here? Am I left in the middle of nowhere and left by myself? Well, the Scriptures assure us, and I think even encourage us, that while Joseph was mistreated, wrongly accused, placed into a dungeon, but the Lord was with him. Not only once, but twice in that short little three or four verses. Mistreated, but the Lord was with him. God gave him favor. Still in prison, But anything that he does, he prospers because God is with him. God will not leave you or I alone in dungeons. David said, uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Not only did the Lord comfort Joseph in his dungeon as he surrounded him with his presence, The Lord supported him with favor and encouraged him as he gave him authority. God not only did not abandon Joseph, but God continued to provide for Joseph and made him prosper. Yes, we go through difficult times, don't we? But how wonderful is it to know that even in the midst of difficulty... All of my needs seem to be provided for. All of the things that most people around the world, if we are not thinking about just the West, are concerned about, the Lord has given. God was with Joseph. And at the same time, God was instructing Joseph in the prison. God was preparing Joseph for a greater service. We know what that service will be, but Joseph doesn't. We know that it will eventually lead to Joseph being the prime minister of Egypt, the second most powerful man in the most powerful kingdom of of the world of that time. Joseph doesn't know this. All he knows is that I have been victimized, mistreated, and here I am. But God was with him. Why was he in prison and not yet the second most powerful man in in the world? It was because God was not done yet training him for that position. 
he had always already been trained in the house of Potiphar. And now he was in the next phase of his training that would take place in a dungeon. Uh, slavery was not enough for Joseph. There was still yet, for jo- yet more for Joseph to learn that he didn't learn in slavery. He needed to learn it in prison. Therefore, Joseph's dungeon experience was not meaningless. It was not purgatory, it was preparatory. God was utilizing the dungeon as his holy hammer and chisel on the raw, rugged rock that was Joseph. And there goes God. Ching. Ching. Chiseling away at his man. Rugged he was. Raw he was, but still God's man. Much to be developed and and much to be shaped, but still God's man. God would use the dungeon to shape and fashion Joseph for greater use. And God was not distant in this process. He was ever present with him. What was Joseph's job when he was in prison? Joseph was responsible for others. He was put in charge of caring for the needs of all of the prisoners. How many were there? Who knows? But here's what we do know. If anything, anyone needed something, they didn't go to the warden. They went to Joseph. Here's the other thing that we know about this. The warden didn't even concern himself with the prison. Joseph's got it. Joseph was being prepared to care for people. Because Joseph would be later placed into a position where he cared for the entire country. And at that time, it would be, as it were, the entire world was coming to Egypt for uh, supplies. And Joseph was in charge of issuing them out. Where did he learn that? Where did he learn such a, a, a way of delegating? He learned it in the dungeon. These experiences would be a great prophet when he is elevated to prime minister of all of Egypt. What university would Joseph attend in order to be prepared to be prime minister of all of Egypt? It was the university of the dungeon. It was the University of Egypt's dungeon. And through God's difficult providences, God teaches Joseph how to be equipped, not only to to hold the position, but to be God's man while he is in that position. It's, It's one thing to aspire to a position. It's another thing to have that position and to be a man or woman of God in that position. So that when you are executing the responsibilities of that position, you are doing so for God's glory. And he learned this while in prison. In prison. In prison. The dungeon becomes the great source of blessing, doesn't it? He's forced to rely on God and no one else. Joseph is one of those characters 
For example, go through the, the book of Esther. You won't find the name of God. But it seems as though every time you hear Joseph saying something, he's always mentioning and evoking the name of God. Always. Even in prison. The, the dreams come. No one can interpret them. And what does Joseph say? God can. He never, God's name is never far from the lips of Joseph. And let me say to you that this provision of God is also not denied to us who are his children. Dear child of God as you are, what has been the university that God has used to shape you and fashion you today? What are the providences that you can reflect upon as being difficult ones, but ones that God used to make you who you are today? We all know them, don't we? We all can look back and say, it was there that I learned. It was there that God taught me. It was there that God trained and instructed me. It was there. We've sung today... uh, how firm a foundation. And I don't know if the words passed by your ears or your eyes quickly, but they are, when through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be with you. Your troubles I will bless and sanctify you even in your deepest distress. Dear ones, do not think for one moment that your difficult upbringings, the challenging times that you've experienced in school, the battles that you have had or even seen with addictions, the wars in human relationships that we've all had, do not think for one moment that they are, they are all accidental or incidental. Not in the least. They were your university. Some of you may sit here today. I've never been to school. Oh, yes, you have. Yes, you have. There was an individual years ago who said to me, don't teach the church the things that you're teaching them. They are not bright enough to understand. Some of them have not even a high school education. Oh, they've been to school. We've all... If we called upon the name of God, he has used these different providences in our lives to teach us something about him and about us. They've taught us that we cannot rely on ourselves. And we might even be able to look back at those dungeons and say, God bless you for how God used you in my life. He used, looking back at the prison, he used you to teach me something about him. It was there that God taught me who he was. It was there that God taught me I was not alone. It was there that God taught me that he would never leave me nor forsake me. It was there that I learned that I can trust him. They were your university. Many of us know others who have gone through them. And they may have looked at you and said to themselves, I don't know how you endured it. I don't know how you were able to cope. 
I think for all of us, we would be able to say it was because God was with me. It was because while I was there, God did not leave me forsaken. Joseph viewed his circumstances through the lens of God, through God's eyes. He's able to see God working in his life, all of God's purposes. And surely we too need to look through the lens of God and ask questions like, Lord, what do you want to teach me? What are you preparing me for? Who am I relying on? And how close am I to you? Are you drawing me closer? God is able to use these circumstances to instruct us. And while he does, he won't leave us alone. Third and finally, the case of the baker and the cupbearer. This is really the entire chapter now. It was because, now think about this, and think about God's providence in this circumstance. It was because of Joseph's circumstance that God was able to use the cupbearer and the baker who were thrown into prison. Now, we do not know why the cupbearer and the baker were thrown into prison, but it had something to do with the food of Pharaoh and the drink of Pharaoh. He was greatly offended in some kind of way. In this rage, he throws these two servants into the very prison that Joseph was in. Now we need to take a step back and think about the providence of God through it all. And and this is why Joseph was able to say that you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph is taken from his home. He is placed into the house of one of the most powerful men of all, all of Egypt. And while he is there, he is pursued by a, a sinful woman. She lies about Joseph. Joseph is thrown into prison. But God needed him to go into prison. Because there would be two other individuals who would also be in that prison. And these two individuals, God would use for God's purposes to bring Joseph to a place where he would stand before the very king of Egypt. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. These two royal officials, a one who holds the king's cup and one who cooks the king's food, they offended the king. Some suggest that the offense against the king was a, conspire, a conspiracy to kill the king. Who would have more access or easier access to uh, killing the king in a stealth kind of manner? than one who gives him drink and one who gives him food. They may have been placed into prison while an investigation took place to find out who was the culprit, who had tried to poison the king. Was it the cupbearer or was it the baker? Now this, of course, is speculation, but it is one that has been carried out through Hebrew folklore or Hebrew history. In the ancient times, it was not uncommon to have political persons be in charge of various forms of national industry. So the chief baker, whenever we think of a chief baker, we must not think of someone who is simply the cook's, uh, the king's cook. Rather, we must imagine 
The chief baker is the one who is in charge of all of the grain of all of the land of Egypt. He would not just be the chef in the kitchen. He would be the one who holds a royal position of being in charge of all the food in all of the land. The same is true with the cupbearer. He would not just be in charge of bringing the cup to Pharaoh and saying, Here you go, O king. But rather, he was also in charge of every single drop that came into that king's cup. Where did it come from? Who produced it? Who is harvesting the land? So we have two royal officials who had royal titles. It came about that they offended the king in some kind of way. And they were placed into the prison that Joseph has charge over. Joseph is called to care for them, cares for their needs, makes sure that they are fed, that makes sure that they are clothed, clothed. If any issues arose, he would see to it that they were resolved. And Joseph knows the prisoners as well. He knows them in a more intimate kind of way. He knows them so well that he can tell if they're in a good mood or in a bad mood. He says to the jailers when he sees them awaken in the morning, Why the long face? Why are your faces so sad? The Bible says that they are in prison for some time. Now, although we hear three days, we must not assume that they were only in prison for a week. They were in prison for some time. This could have been weeks. It could have been months. Probably not years but a considerable amount of time. Why the long face, Joseph says. Very easy to read them, glancing over and seeing that they are not as joyous as they should be. But here's the thing. Joseph is in prison with them. They should all be having long faces. Joseph sees the prisoners and says, Hey, why are you so sad? Well, obviously, Joseph was not. And he's in the same predicament and situation as them. Matter of fact, it is also said that those who were in this royal prison were on a type of death row. Meaning those who were in this royal prison could expect at some point or another to be put to death. Now, again, that's speculation. But it lends, I think, a little bit to the weight of Joseph seeing these men and their condition, and he's not so obsessed with his own problems that he's oblivious to the problems of others. That's important. How often do we come into a place of worship and we are only concerned with what I, or me, myself, and I, that what I'm going through? Joseph is aware of others to the point that he will even involve himself or, if you don't mind, he will intrude. He will impose himself into their lives. What's going on today? He sees their business as his business. He makes their business his business. And oftentimes we assume that if someone has a long face, it's their business and none of mine. But here is Joseph, a believer. Not necessarily coming to believers, I don't think. 
and yet still concerned with them enough to say, what's wrong today? Why is your soul vexed this morning? Don't say to me, brother and sister, or to your brother and sister, that you can't ask them, how are you? No, how are you really? Can I pray for you? I'm not here to to announce onto Facebook what you're going through. I'm here to just let you know that you're not alone. It was a providential act of God because the reason why they had a long face is because they've had a dream. And no one is there, they say, to interpret the dream. Now, again, we're seeing the providence of God. It's almost as if they woke up in the morning and both of them are walking out of their cells with their heads down and say, what happened? I had a bad dream. You too. I had a bad dream. What was your dream about? I was serving in the king's palace. Me too. Tell me more. And as they get to the very end of the dream, they're both vexed and confused because they have no idea what the dream means. And they're standing before a man who knows a little something or another about dreams. What's he called by his brothers? What's the nickname? He's the dreamer. Here comes the dreamer. Now they're standing in front of a man. They've had a dream. They're standing in front of a man who has been given dreams himself. In the very prison, as this man who has been given charge over them, which means he has access to them. May I say to you passingly, don't underestimate the people that God has placed in and around your life. God has placed them there. Not because they can't relate to you, but because they can relate to you. You'd be amazed. Sit down with someone here in the church for an hour. You'll be amazed. They can be a help of you if you only trust that God has placed them there for your edification. And Joseph makes himself available. Notice that. He didn't ignore them. Made his business their business, but also says, tell me about it. They've got a dream no one can interpret. And Joseph's response is, God can. God can interpret the dream. God can do all things. And here he is, God's man. He could have said, dreams? Don't talk to me about dreams. It's because of dreams that I'm here. Dreams is the reason why I'm in this dungeon. And sometimes we can do that with our own experiences, can't we? Our experiences can make us so bitter that we can curse them. We can refuse to give them to God in service. I don't want to talk about this. I refuse to help anyone with my own bitter experiences overlooking our dungeons. And realizing that we can help others who are in the dungeon that we've escaped. Don't look back at the dungeon and say, curse you dungeon. See it as something that God can use not only to help you as it did, but to help others who may still be there. He points to this men, to these men and says, you have a problem, go to God. And so they share with him their dreams. And for the cupbearer, he has a positive interpretation. God is going to restore you to your place. 
But for the baker, he does not have such a... And the, it, it's kind of a sad thing, but the baker is... It, he seems optimistic. He hears the interpretation of the cupbearer and says, Okay, me, me. My turn. My turn. Let me tell you mine. I think it's important to address this because it's within the context of the passage. Does God still give dreams today as he did in the scriptures? I'm sure that some of us have had some wild dreams. My wife has dreams that should be turned into movies. They are inception. Some of you guys might know what that is. Does God give revelations and visions in dreams as he once did? Understand that we are not not asking, can God do such a thing? But according to the scriptures, does God continue to do such a thing? And has he promised to continue to do such a thing? Let's ask the scriptures. Hebrews 11 or Hebrews 1, 1 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in dreams and in visions. Here's how God spoke in past times. Scriptures say, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir over all things. In the past, God has spoken through prophets, and he has spoken to them through visions, through dreams and special revelations. In these days, God has spoken to us through his Son. And no other way. The answer from the scripture is no. God does not give new revelation nor visions and dreams that he spoke as he spoke in times past. But God has given his final word through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as it has been revealed in the Holy Scriptures, fully and finally. There's a reason why our confession states and our catechism states that the Scriptures are, the Word of God is, the only the only certain rule of faith and obedience. Only certainty found in God's word. The only place of confidence and dependence and reliability in God's word. Why? Because God has undeniably spoken here. Undeniably spoken here. Elsewhere, it's deniable. Elsewhere, it's deniable. Uh, I, I, in preparing for this sermon, I looked to Kenneth Copeland's website, the false teacher, on how to determine whether or not God has spoken to you. He has three uh, checkpoints or marks, boxes. One of them is, examine all visions and dreams by God's word. Even a false teacher knows this. He doesn't adhere to it, but he at least knows it. If all things must be tested by God's word, then God's word is the only thing that's reliable. Therefore, we should trust nothing else. 
There are many who have dreams and who believe that God is giving them a new and special revelation where it about what is to come, about what is or what will be. We reject the notion that God gives special or new revelation in these last days, in visions, dreams, word, or so-called special words, or so-called special, uh, so-called prophets foretelling things to come. Now, it's important that we say, why do we reject this notion? Very simply, because God's word is complete. If we buy the notion that God is still giving revelation, new revelation, then we need to go to Revelation chapter 22 on the back of this page and say, dot, 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 thus says the Lord. And add to the sacred pages of Holy Scripture. Which means God's word is not complete. If this is the case, and let me say, who would be so daring? The book of Revelation says, whoever adds or takes away from this book, anathema, curse be upon you. Let me warn you, because of all of the things that we have been experiencing in this past year, there are some who are reading a Bible, and rather than having the commentaries of John Calvin, J.C. Ryle, or St. Augustine at their side, to be their help. They have the New York Times, the London Times, and the Washington Post as their commentaries of the Scriptures. We do not read the daily news and read the Scriptures in order to find out what the Scriptures are interpreting or meaning. We go to God's Word. And with all their conspiracies... These people are reading through all these different newspapers instead uh, uh, consistently watching the news. They go to sleep. And what do you think the kind of dreams they're going to have? Do you know? You watch Freddy Krueger. All of a sudden your mother-in-law is Freddy Krueger and she's in your dream and she's chasing you. So on and so forth. Whatever you feed here is there. And it's going to come out in the most uh, fantastic ways sometimes. But these so-called ministers will come to a pulpit and say, I had a dream last night, and thus says the Lord. And there are those who are sitting in pews and in seats as yours who are, because they trust the person here, receiving a hook, line, and sinker. And they don't even have to be asking for money. They could just be bidding for your influence or for influence over your life. It doesn't always have to be a money scheme. It could be a just listen to me scheme. And sometimes they believe their own scheme, which makes them even more dangerous. Brothers and sisters, don't believe it for one second. Islam began with a dream. The Jehovah's Witnesses began with a dream. Mormonism began with a dream. Let me help you out this morning. Are these the last days? Ever since the Lord Jesus rose from the dead and said, I will return, it has been the last days. 
Is Christ returning at any moment? Christ said in the book of Revelation, I'm coming quickly. Be ready. Are things bad? Well, we're living in the tribulation. Yes, things are bad. And they will be bad until God, Christ, makes all things good. When is that going to happen? No one knows the hour and no one knows the day. Until then, just be ready. Be wise. Keep oil in your lamp. Be watchful. Pray. Lest you fall into temptation. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. The cupbearer and the baker had a dream. Back to our text. The baker hears the interpretation. He's excited. While the cupbearer, if you can imagine, says, yes, I knew it. He's excited. He's getting ready to go back to work, he believes. The baker hears his interpretation. In three days, Pharaoh will hang you on the gallows. And rather than being elated, he is deflated. Let me ask you in closing, did Joseph have to tell the baker this? If you have ever watched the live action movie, in the movie, Joseph doesn't want to tell him. He says, I don't, I don't know. The baker grabs him and he starts to shake him. You better tell me the interpretation of this dream. I know it. I know you know it. Joseph tells him. The baker begins to beat him in the movie for his interpretation. That's just Hollywood. Joseph was strong. Stronger than a baker, I'm sure. Couldn't Joseph have been more vague? Couldn't he have lied and said, I don't know. This man was already in prison. Did he need to hear that kind of news? You're about to die. My dear friend Joseph gave the full counsel of God. Meaning this, that when God speaks, the man of God says what God said and doesn't hold a single word or syllable back. He's accountable. God told me, I tell you, I'm just the messenger. Don't shoot me. God said it, not me. He says what God says. God was with Joseph. And if God is with a man or a woman, then a lie will be the last thing on their lips. They will tell the truth. Joseph has learned what lies produce, hasn't he? His brothers lied. Potiphar's wife lied. And he would have nothing to do with that kind of life. It's a great lesson for us all. Speak the truth in love. We need to learn to, to point people to God and say, say to them the truth. And the truth is that there is one Savior. And His name is Christ Jesus. And if you believe in Him and trust in Him, you will be saved. And enjoy eternity in the presence of God. And the truth is that on the other side of that, if you or the world goes on refusing to bow their knee to Christ, refusing to believe in Him, rejecting Him as their Savior, then death and hell await them. And that is the truth. Damnation awaits. A Christless eternity awaits. Don't sweeten that harsh truth. Don't make it sound any uh, better than it actually is.
To be vague is to not be truthful at all. Joseph teaches us that if we are men and women of God, boys and girls of God, and if we have learned from our experiences, then we speak the truth in love. And here's the baker being told that he was going to be hung. And the interpretation comes to pass. Three days later, he is hung. The cupbearer forgot all about Joseph. I wonder if while the baker was going to the gallows, if he forgot about Joseph. I wonder if on his way to be hung, if he thought that man Joseph was a good man. He carried himself in a good way. He said God gave him that interpretation. I wonder if that baker on his way to the gallows called out and said, the God of Joseph, I wonder if you might save me. We don't know. Even though the cupbearer forgot about Joseph and even though maybe the baker forgot about Joseph, God did not. And Joseph would be there for another two years. Or should I say, Joseph would stay in university for two more years. Earning a higher degree in his school. Until God determined that he was ready to graduate. And the same is true for you and I. When we are in dungeons, and they won't be the last, they're just preparatory for the next. But it doesn't mean that while we are moving out and on, that there is no room for celebration. You and I have victory in Christ. Even when you're in the dungeon, Joseph learned that God was with him, that God was preparing him for service, that God would never leave him nor forsake him. And he learned that his times were in God's hands. So it is with you and I, brothers and sisters. Our times are in his hands. Let's pray.